Kawhi alone inside. He's got the breakaway with the touch to the right. Go! Official podcast of your Minneapolis City Soccer Club, brought to you by Summit Brewing Company. Welcome to the People's Pitch Podcast, the official podcast of Minneapolis City Soccer Club. I'm your host, John, and for the first uh, part of a two-part episode, this week uh, I will be without my better half, Nate Morales, as I embark on a solo journey. But fear not, listeners, his silky voice will make an appearance later in this episode. This week, we will start off by diving into the game of soccer, but as always, we have some city news for you. Player signings roll in, and we have some more birds that are going to be flying with us this summer, so we'll dive into the recent signing that happened, I believe, today or yesterday, depending on when you listen to this. It was announced also this week that we are a go for uh, one preseason friendly, a high-profile friendly, with a fairly famous club. We'll give you some details around that. And I have a special guest in-house with me, literally in my house, to dive into his thoughts on soccer and perhaps give you a deeper look into what shaped me when it comes to the game of soccer. So let's dive in. Everyone... The, everyone has that person that introduces them to something and it triggers their somewhat maybe insane obsession. And for, for, for this show, um, the, my host that I'm going to have with me um, is the person who introduced the, uh, the game to me. Um, and I like to equate this person to what I've done for my actual host. Uh, Nate is, you know, he was introduced to the game by his stepson. Um, but, I think me bringing him into this ecosystem or my soccer ecosystem kind of got him further uh, bitten by that soccer bug. But like I mentioned, for me, it's it's no doubt that soccer is my obsession. I literally think about it, talk about it, watch it, instruct it, or play it every day of my life. Um, and that is not a joke. <laughs> every day of my life. But there was a beginning for me, and it all started when I was th- three feet high, a little sponge that latched onto a sport that when I fast forward to today, I could really never have imagined where it took me. And I, I'm pleased to welcome the person who started it all for me um, to our show this week, my father, Soccer Hall of Famer, uh, Coach of the Year, um, and the person we all have to thank for introducing me to the game, and that is Andy Bizworm. So, Dad, thank you so much for joining us and agreeing to, to be on the show. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Well, thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it. And this is actually the first time I've ever talked on a podcast. (laughs) And so Jonathan asked me to kind of start out with my history. And what I suggested was, well, I was born on a stormy night. And he said, no, no, Dad, let's not go back that far. Let's kind of (laughs) concentrate on soccer. I said, oh, okay, we'll we'll forget that portion. (laughs) But yes, I mean, my soccer career started back in Germany where I was born and I was there for 10 years of my life and in a small village uh, in Baden-Württemberg, for those of you that are familiar with Germany. But my time there was uh, basically I kind of grew up in this small village 
and uh, soccer was my only sport. <clears throat> I enjoyed it from the very beginning, uh, but it was not organized soccer as like you see today. It was basically getting together with other classmates or friends. We had basically one soccer ball for the entire, you know, uh, group that we had there. And uh, my God, if we ever lost it, uh, we were just about uh, uh, done with. It was uh, time for a new sport. That's correct, a <laughs> uh, new sport at that point. And, and only one boy had the soccer ball. The rich kid in the uh, village had the soccer ball. So uh, he didn't play very well, but we dragged him along anyway because he had the ball. So... But uh, we grew up, uh, again, not like you see today, where children, you know, from three years on up are already in somewhat organized uh, soccer presentations. And, and uh, paying for it. And paying for it also, yes. <laughs> Believe me, we didn't pay for it uh, whatsoever. But what, you know, what we learned was, uh, and we didn't have uh, other coaches or other senior players that were around us. It was just learning, you know, kicking the ball around. Sometimes we weren't on the field. We just uh, ended up, uh, you know, in kind of a, the front uh, street where we bounced the ball up against the, a building. And, um, you know, sometimes when I see uh, these kids in uh, Brazil or Argentina and their small villages. I said, my God, you know, that's kind of oh, how, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's how we did it also. So it was basically the, the free play model, no structure, just getting out there, trying things, just kicking the ball and, and kind of latching onto it. Correct. Yes. And that's kind of how we did it. Um, <clears throat> we had no formal games against other play, uh, against other teams. And, uh, so, but I, I grew up with it. <clears throat> My brother was the next, uh, he was the higher boy in the family, and uh, he grew up with soccer as well. My senior brother up ahead of him uh, didn't play much soccer whatsoever, so it was just the two of us in our family. Uh, and beyond that, my 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 father was not the one that got us into the sport and drove us uh, heavily into that. It was on our own that we got to love the sport. So if if Opa wasn't the person who introduced Uncle Hans to it, who so did he just he just fell in love with it himself, or was there anyone that maybe like a friend of his that pushed him into it? What kind of helped me was is that uh, some of our neighbors who actually played on the senior team in our town, which is called Oberdorf, and and I followed their games uh, religiously. Uh, I was there at all games, and I was the ball boy, sometimes the only ball boy running around the entire field, but I just got so... Um, I guess so incensed with the sport and loved it so much in my heart that uh, the other players, the older players liked it also in the fact that I sometimes they even snuck me onto the bus which had to be paid for by the players to go in another town and they dragged me along and hid me in the back of the bus and uh, that <laughs> the ball way bag and... <laughs> right yeah. I had uh, the two or three balls that they had for a team and uh, I had to hide in the back so I could go along, and uh, it, I was, my parents knew it, but uh, they kind of understood that I really loved the sport. So, quick question. So, like, 
to to kind of keep going on this and maybe to try to narrow it down a little bit. I can't really explain or identify why soccer became my obsession. Like I can't I literally can't think of one thing that like clicked in my brain that says like this is what you're going to be obsessed with. Is there anything like you know within that following the senior team or any trigger point that you can remember? You might not have it like I can't figure it out that was like this is why it brings me so much joy and this is why it's my obsession. Well, for that point, let me put it this way. When Jonathan uh, grew up, uh, or when he was born, uh, my entire uh, focus point in life was this boy is going to be playing soccer. He is going to enjoy it whether he likes it or not. Yeah, this is the point in the show where I tell you guys I actually hate soccer. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dad. Uh, no, we, we had him in the crib. We hung soccer balls above his crib and you know, dragged his foot alongside of it, uh, did everything we could. Uh, <laughs> but then again, you know, and, and he um, he loved it even as a boy. We we destroyed so many things in our living room and had our... I definitely want to get to that at some point. <laughs> yes, uh, but, uh, you know, we got him involved in soccer from the very beginning. So so what was your trigger point? As far as, like, what, what made... what When you were a kid, when you were you were trying to get these guys to sneak you onto that bus and you were and you were hanging around the field and being part of it was there something that bit you to make that uh, such a passionate part of your life i'll tell you there was one incident that made me absolutely and i realized how much passion i had for the sport and it was actually a game in my town in oberdorf and some other village came in and they were playing and i was standing next to the goal and uh, it was one instance where uh, the opposing forward beat the last defender and he was storming towards the goal. The goalie came out and that forward just lifted that ball over him and it was literally just going and bounce into the goal. And I'm standing beside the goal. I rushed onto the field and I kicked the living hell out of that ball to go off to the side. <laughs> Everybody was like stunned. Mid, like mid game. Yes, it was a regular <laughs> game. And the people on the sideline, the few that we had there, were laughing, uh, living daylights. And uh, the opposing players were just screaming at the referee. And uh, the goalie came and hugged me and everything else. <laughs> And I thought, boy, this is the game. I want to be part of it. So cheating was your passion. Yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. cheating was my first uh, element. No so, losing whatsoever. So when you when you came to the states as a kid, um, and it was the, at that time no professional league here in the United States, no youth soccer setup like we have in the modern game today, and there for sure was no ability to watch soccer pretty much around the clock on the internet. Or there was no internet, um, but and there was hardly TV broadcast at that point, specifically for soccer. Um, what was it like when you got here? The When we first came to Milwaukee, which was our hometown at that point, was there were no small youth leagues that we see today. Uh, you basically went to a club in the Milwaukee area. And An ethnic club. Ethnic club. Being of German background, we went to the Bavarians because my brother was old enough. He was in his teens at that time, and he started playing. I could not play with the club at that time, but I went along with him, 
And, uh, you know, when they were doing their warm-ups or doing their practices, etc., I would just use a soccer ball of my own, kick it around a little bit. And in some of the uh, practices, they actually let me go in on it. Uh, but, again, I had no formal, no you formal know, training. training coming in in my youth. And I'm talking about my, my grade school time period. So like 12, 13-ish? Right. Okay. And at that point, <clears throat> once I got into uh, the high school level, freshman high school, eighth grade freshman level, then they had intermediate, uh, they call them intermediate soccer teams at the club. And then juniors, uh, they were mostly at the high school level. And that is how I really got involved in the more structured uh, part of my soccer life. So we, you mentioned the Bavarians. We, we talk extensively about them on our show. They're kind of the model that we, um, we at least on the field, that we try to achieve for, you know, constant winners. Um, you know, what was the club itself like? I mean, you dove into it a little bit, but, you know, there was a senior team. And, and when did they incorporate actual, like, juniors, I believe it was called, right, like, or youth soccer? Like, what age groups did they have back then that laddered into the majors of the first team? Again, at the time, let's say with your eighth grade time period and uh, mm -hmm. your freshman high school, that's when we started out. Okay. And, and the people that coached it were players that played on the major team. Okay. Uh, the Bavarians. And they were Germans uh, also living here in the United States. <laughs> uh, there was um, just about 100% of that team, you know, back in the late 50s, early 60s were straight German players. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, listening to them on the field, I heard them even uh, yelling to each other in German. And uh, But they're the ones who started us in soccer. And believe me, their practices were geared to how do you trap a ball? How do you hit a ball? How do you shoot a ball? Passing. Passing, you know, looking around, talking to each other. Uh, what do you do? And one of the things I remember they really focused on is what do you do when you're not near the ball or you don't have the ball? You're not... You're not just standing there to watch what the guy does with the ball. You got to also do something. And they really pressed that aspect of it. And, you know, we constantly said, well, you know, when, when can we play a scrimmage? You know, and the coach yelled at today we're not scrimmaging whatsoever. Not ready yet. Um, you're not ready yet until you know how to trap that ball and do things and shoot it and pass it. And I see what you're doing when you're not in position of the ball. That's how I can see whether you're a player or not. Mm -hmm. And that was very important for us. And that's how we learned. And we literally, we didn't play until we did in the intermediate teams. We had a local league. And mm -hmm. at that point, we started playing. And our, and our coaches were never really thrilled or emphasized the winning aspect. Did we win? Yes, a lot of games. Bavarians are win. perennial winners. Now, yes. what one of my next questions was going to be like, it, was it always like that? They were, they were geared for winning. Mm -hmm. The Bavarians were, you know, but sometimes we played, our coaches would tell us when we lost and maybe lost even heavily. And he told us, there is nothing wrong with the way you played. And, you just got uh, beat. 
we just got beat. We got beat by better players, maybe a little bit older than we were. But he said, the way you handled the ball, the way you trapped the ball, passed the ball, shot the ball, I'm happy with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, kind of hitting the forward button a little bit on the Bavarians, um, they all, they, and I want to get your take on a little bit of this. So it's, it's well known they've played professional teams, they've played national teams. Um, as a club, they've traveled globally to play. I think one of the, the famous stories is um, Uncle Hans's trip, where the the tour bus caught fire on the autobahn, and they all yes. had to throw their luggage off the roof rack <laughs> before all their possessions got burned. But they're they're well tra- traveled, and I, I have a memorable game that I remember from being a kid, and that's when they played the U.S. national team in 1990 in Milwaukee before German fe- a German Fest weekend, and that was the tune-up for them to go to Italy for the World Cup. Like that that to me is so massive. There is no amateur team in the country at in this day and age that would play the US national team. I mean, they might play um in a World Cup tune up behind closed doors like they played Stanford um because they were training there and they just needed a, a different set of guys to play against. But they're not going and traveling to Milwaukee to play against the Bavarians before they fly out to Italy. So I that was memorable for me. Maybe if you go back in the day a little bit, was there any of those friendlies or matches that that were memorable to you that the Bavarians played? Yes, there were several memorable games. I mean, to me, the biggest things as far as uh, outside league games were the games where they, during the summertime, invited uh, professional teams from Germany, mm-hmm. uh, VfB Stuttgart. Uh, the Bayern actually, after, yeah, Bayern Munich uh, also came. Uh, Freiburg, I believe. Yes, they came, and there were several Auburn. other ones that are no longer in the uh, in the top Bundesliga, player. but they were top professional players that came, and uh, yeah, all of them pretty much beat our team, but some of them enjoy the competition from a straight amateur type of environment. They weren't really in jeopardy of getting injured against a bunch of yahoos, basically, and they the guys they played against, although they maybe probably were better than they could play. And that's probably where the respect came from. Yes, I mean they were playing, uh, you know, a team that was going, you know, that uh, they were going to be afraid of, uh, mm-hmm. and that sometimes happens when you're playing a really uh, bad team that is more energetic and Kicking more you physical, and, and you're technically a lot better, and you start worrying about uh, them coming in at you. Uh, and you're essentially on holiday because your season's over. Yes, <laughs> you yeah. don't want, you don't want to be picking up a, a broken ankle or something because you're playing against people that they can't do it. Um, so was there a specific game that you remember that was a good one? Uh, the one I remember was against VfB Stuttgart. And uh, that was actually the state where we came, and they were our professional team then. Mm-hmm. And that one was probably more in my memory. And did we lose? I think we lost like 5-1, to one, something like that. It's not bad against the Bundesliga team. No, it, it wasn't bad. And then some of our players were uh, actually coming. They came from all over Germany in some of them. And mm-hmm. some of them were actually were training, got some formal training already in Germany before they, uh, came, before the they came to the United States. Sure. So let's fast forward a bit. So you finished high school in Milwaukee, and you went to uh, both of our alma maters, uh, UW Milwaukee. Um, before college soccer was really a thing, um, you know, I kind of know this answer, but folks don't. Like, was there a team when you were in college in the seventies? Like, did it form while you were there, or what? What, what was 
college soccer like there there were some team some schools that had a soccer team but Milwaukee maybe maybe didn't maybe did I do remember that they for example in the Midwest I, I do remember one of the few that had uh, you know soccer and, and like I said I was I graduated in 1966 and uh, I looked at a couple of schools and the closest one I could find that had soccer was uh, Michigan State and, it's not really uh, close. No, it yeah. wasn't close. <laughs> yeah. uh, they didn't have any universities playing soccer. So even like Ohio State, that's that seems like the, maybe one that would have it. I don't know if Ohio State had it. I know there was some out east that yeah. had it. Uh, like Rutgers. Right. Some uh, of the... Uh, Syracuse, the, maybe. Some of the Big East type schools. Yes. You know, and... Uh, so the, you know, my of course my parents said, uh, you know, you're not, you're going, not going there. You're going to play soccer at Michigan State. You're staying in Milwaukee, <laughs> and uh, you're going to the University of Milwaukee. You're going to get a job, and you're going to like it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so after after school, you know, um, you know, on the brink of the '70s, kind of turning into the '70s from the '60s, you went into the military, and then you were, were stationed back in Germany. So when you went back from the time you left as a as a youth and and where soccer was when you were there to the time you went back in the 70s tell us a little bit about what you saw there and maybe the differences of how things progressed from a, a perspective of that much time uh, differential bet- between you know giving the game time to grow mm-hmm. uh, sure uh, as Jonathan mentioned uh, you know the Bavarians had a system also basically they had four teams intermediate junior reserve team and then they had the major team in my era and uh, and I got up to playing in the uh, major team in my college days but it was getting close to the end of my college time period and I, I was in ROTC and this was during the Vietnam time and the answer was um, you're not sticking around uh, after college you're getting in the military immediately so mm-hmm. and because of my German background I, I was fortunate enough I did go to Germany and uh, when I was uh, I was stationed in Heidelberg Germany and what happened was when they found out that I had a soccer background, they said, uh, guess what? You're going to organize the uh, the American military <laughs> soccer team here in Germany. And, uh, here you so, go do it. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and uh, I think we had we had one other officer that was playing. Was a, he was a captain. And he left and they said, okay, Bizworm, now uh, you're the uh, second lieutenant. Uh, guess what? Uh, you're in charge of the team now. And, uh, very, and That's very military sounding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're next man up. <laughs> and so we, we basically looked for players around Germany that played soccer. And it was a hunt. And believe me, we had some guys uh, that, uh, you know, hadn't been brought up at all with soccer. So uh, we it was tough getting players organized we did get to play the german army we played against the uh, british we played against the dutch uh, other their military teams and uh, i still remember playing against the uh, british uh, military team and they had several players that had come out uh, of the professional level yeah, and doing were, their civil service were doing yeah. their service uh, environments and um, 
and before the game, all they talked about was the one time that the Americans beat them in the Olympics, and they could never forget that. And it was the first time they ever lost to the Americans in the Olympics. I, offhand, I can't remember the exact date of that. But um, so uh, they, but they were very nice to us. And, and the then, whistle blew, and they smacked you with the Union Jack. And they <laughs> beat. Uh, can I say it? But they beat the living shit out of us. Uh, so. Uh, we, uh, you know, we didn't have it. Uh, we didn't have the uh, capabilities uh, at that time. But again, it was you know hard work. Not only did I coach, but I played on the team, etc. And and then um, once I was finished with my military time in in Germany, I ended back in Ohio at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. So as far as um as far as soccer in general, when you went back to Germany um, you know that in the 70s is kind of where the framework of like the 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 bigger club and clubs in Europe having their 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 academies building their their systems going away from just being one team to having this soccer ecosystem and um, that advanced to what we have now um, you know when you when you look at the professional game when you went back um, was it still the same? You know, as when you you left, you know, I remember you mentioning that, you know, you watched the 1954 World Cup, like that was high level soccer. Um, but from a from a club perspective in, in Germany, um, they're very successful. You know, the, the Spanish you know, Real Madrid won a lot of um, a lot of champ- Champions League or European Cups back then. But um, did you see a shift in the game at all, like from the early days in Europe to 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 where it was when you got back? Yes, there was a shift. There was a lot more formal training mm-hmm. where basically uh, players that were thinking eventually going into the professional level went to professional schools and the training schools that they had there. And, uh, you know, this was at the high school level, but they were their focus was on, on the soccer, technical soccer. Mm-hmm. And believe me, the technical aspect was so, so important. And I know we'll talk about that later on, but I, I, I remember talking to a couple of players and they said, this is what they're teaching us. This is what we go through. And again, even like when I saw in my earlier times, it was not so important of whether you won the next game at this level. It's what you learned mm-hmm. and your technical capability. Obviously, it had to grow to what they thought was the level that you needed right. to get into the professionals. There's probably you know a grading system at that point, like you know, like in school, you know, you're you're A plus in this facet of the game. You're ahead of that guy in front of you got less less on the test score right um it's it's really interesting that you mentioned the the not necessarily focused on winning aspect because you look at american soccer at our level with minneapolis city or at um you know the usl level all the the the, the leagues that feed up into mls and then you look at the youth ranks it's so focused on winning that everyone loses sight of the fact that you're really preparing players um, for that next level. And the youth youth ranks, you have outlets for kids and players, both boys and girls, to just play if they want to play. But the serious outlets are, are the ones that are driving you up the track. And it's still focused on winning. You could 
you could produce out of 18 players on a team um, five professionals but if you didn't win the state cup or you didn't win you know whatever you you know you didn't travel and win this showcase your club is looked at as not a good club so it's really interesting to hear that like back in the 70s it was the the reason why the germans were building good players and probably the dutch as well and the british and most europeans was cuz they were really focusing on development and sharpening skills cuz they knew winning comes with prepared players and like i mean at our level we talk a lot about we're preparing players who this maybe their springboard to the next step or this is the end destination for guys but we're still going to be sharpening them um, in the event that maybe soccer does move into a category where they can become something so it's really interesting that you mentioned that um so you you ended back up in uh in the united states in the, the end of the 70s um into the early 80s with mom and then my older sister diana um we'll talk about coaching but when you uh, when you got back here um so you basically did, did a soccer shift you grew up in germany you shifted and went and grew up you know in your teen years to to, to milwaukee and it's, there was that was that soccer then you played that until you went back to germany and then you had your military soccer and um but now you're back in in the states you're in ohio where i was born um and uh and you're back and you're in your you know you have your day job in the military how did you get back into soccer not the coaching side because we'll get into that in a second but how did you insert yourself into soccer when you got back again into another another uh situation well when i got back i, I was stationed uh, again at wright patterson air force base which is in the dayton ohio area and um what I saw when I first got there was uh, the open area. They have a huge museum there. They have plenty of fields there. And then all of a sudden I saw some soccer fields and I informed myself what's going on over there. And they had recreational teams primarily. Mm. And uh, Was it like so adult recreation? Or adult what? recreation, yeah, okay. right. And so I got into it and... Uh, was it easy for me to play? Technically, yes. You know, there were some guys uh, that, you know, wanted to play, learn soccer. There were a lot of Americans that wanted to get into the soccer thing. Well, that's but... probably like it is today. There's some foreign-based players who were working in the military and they were stationed there or like, um, you know, at National Cash Register or IBM or whatever that was in Dayton, um, Mead, the paper company. Like I'm mm -hmm. sure they had some foreign-born guys that were just living in the community that could play. Yes, yes, we did. We did have some foreign guys that were in in the. Uh, but again, it was a recreational league. Mm -hmm. But uh, we were lucky, you know, and what the play teams. Soccer. Yeah, teams we played against every now and then. I could recognize a player that mm -hmm. uh, definitely knew his stuff. And you're right, you know, he was. Uh, he wasn't stationed. Some people were stationed there also at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and some were from the local uh, economy. Well, first of all, John, uh, I'm I'm loving this interview that you that you <laughs> did with your dad. Uh, I'm really I really do envy the ability of that you that you have to be able to sit down and talk at length with your dad, record it um, around something that you guys love to, that you've come to love together and that you both share, like a passion you both share. I think that's really cool. It's a lot of things. It's something that a lot of people might, uh, might not have, including me. Well, and you know, and I, I was a little, little worried that it wasn't going to go as well as it did. I thought it turned out fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I, you know, my, my dad had uh, brain surgery 
like a year ago and sometimes his memory is a little less than to be desired and uh but it was cool that you know not only was he able to draw back to some some earlier things that we'll go over here but um but to be able to 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 draw a good understanding of where he thinks um old school ways of thinking are still applicable and uh and how how fundamentals still have not changed in soccer yeah fundamentals matter man um there are a couple things that i picked up on that i do want to bring back and talk about with you uh, first of all your dad's um, soccer foundation came from this place of free play which was really interesting to hear i knew you'd love that part well and not only that <laughs> but like it was funny that he said that he would see and hear how all these people in brazil or argentina or spain or italy like came into the game and playing in their neighborhood clubs and he thought like that was me too i did that too so it is right. something very unifying that they have um you know that happens all over the world it was funny that he, he was just like 10 right and he was just fucking around or at least he was younger than 10 and yeah he, what i love that he said is it was on our own that we got to love the sport i mean how different is that from today's environment in the states right 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 you you rarely ever see that right and and even it's 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 like the one percent of kids that that kick a ball around and and just try to get familiar with it you know and you know, Dan on our hundredth episode joked about how he'd come over to my house, and I was like, "All right, today we're gonna kick soccer balls into that trash can from this, you know, this distance with our left foot and then our right foot." And and that, you know, that was how I learned the game. And you just get comfortable with a soccer ball, and then when it, you're put into a pressured, more structured environment, you excel. Yeah, I think you know it's it's similar to me growing up playing baseball, right? And it was really there are so few kids in the block that could. You couldn't feel the full team of nine ever. Right, right. Right. And you're of course not feeling a team of eighteen. So really it's just like pickle in the middle. It's it's hitting games, it's it's running games, it's dumb stuff like that that are really like, catching, whatever. Yeah, that really build on the fundamentals of the game or the you know, create you know, a basis for those fundamentals as a as a little kid that then you bring to life when you play more organized. And I think that's really that's really cool that your dad experienced the same thing. Yeah, I think so too. And and you can tell when you go and you, you watch soccer players, even at like our level, you know, you look at like Martin and Whitney mm-hmm. and, you know, not to say that other guys on our team didn't grow up playing maybe less structured soccer, but you can tell with like those guys, they just, they're so comfortable with the ball at their foot. They don't even think about that. There's a ball down there. They just, they just go through the motions. so effortlessly. Yeah. I also thought that it was really interesting to hear about at, at what age he was allowed to start, playing when he joined the Bavarians, right? Or were mm-hmm. allowed to start even like practicing with the Bavarians. Because there really was no youth soccer in the um, you know, in the late 50s early 60s per se, right? Because mm-hmm. there was really no soccer organizations outside of what he called the ethnic clubs in Milwaukee. And I think if today if we told American parents that their kids cannot play and won't be playing competitively until they're about 13 years old, 14 years old, and and that after that, they'd still be positioned to develop into good players. I think they would laugh in your face. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but what we miss out uh, when we start drilling kids at a young age is creating this certain soccer IQ, right? Right. And, you know, he, ta- he talked a lot about, you know, um, 
how his his coach would say like you know today you're not you're not ready to play in a game a scrimmage today like you have to nail down these other things first yeah and and think you know you, you talked about how parents might laugh in my face but can you imagine telling a, a parent who comes and maybe watch a practice you're coaching and they and they're like well when are you gonna actually play soccer yeah, we have a like, game scheduled no you're like no we don't <laughs> You know, they're, they're literally not ready to play the game yet, you know, and it's, it's, it goes beyond, you know, scoring goals and, and you have to learn these other pieces first. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. And I mean, it could have been a little bit of sign of the times where, you know, those organizations were, were focused around, you know, a men's club versus trying to bring kids into it. Yeah. Uh, but eventually it, it clicked that you can start, you know, teaching kids the game at a younger age. And then, you know, that's where we are today. That scrimmage thing is an interesting contrast, though, um, between his earlier development in Germany, just, you know, this free play model, just kicking around, playing with your friends, kicking it off the buildings, things like that. And then, you know, once he joined the Bavarians, this idea that you're actually not going to play, you're going to learn how to trap the ball. You're going to learn how to better dribble, how to put touches on your passes, things like that. How to move without the ball. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think as long as that's at, like, a certain age, it feels like, you know, maybe their age was arbitrarily 8th grade, ninth grade, whatever. But, like, that's kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that only at a certain point should you start to really work with kids on the skills and and their development once once they're almost grown up. Right, that's I think funny. If, it, if you actually like, you know, you you were, you play play back what, what he said before that was like there was only one kid who had a soccer ball in his town. Yeah, <laughs> and there was the rich kid, and he yeah, wasn't even that good. Right, and they like they had to play with him, and they like you know they had they had to like you know beat him up if he wouldn't leave the ball, <laughs> you know, and it, and if it went in the river, then they they had to pick up a new sport. Yep. <laughs> but I thought that was I just think that's interesting that there is that 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 contrast from being in being in Germany in a small town where there's not a ton of money and you maybe only have one ball. So actually coming to America and finding this like organized club, like Mm -hmm. definitely a different approach that might not necessarily recognize um, kind of the, the impetus for some of these kids to start playing, but still, and and takes a different approach, but it all worked out in the end. Well, I liked too, how we talked about like, you know, I, I was trying to dig a little bit deeper into like, you know the the thing that made it click in his head. Yeah, it, when like soccer was his passion, because like I, I even said in in the interview, like if you ask me what that thing is, I don't think I can tell you. You know, mm-hmm. it just it just happened, and and with him it was like my my grandfather didn't like teach him the game or like introduce him to it. It was his friends. Yeah, it was like a, a common collective of kids that that got into soccer and the same was with my, 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 uh, my uncle Hans, his older brother, who was like the person who like introduced him to it at a deeper level, just by or organically being around him playing at, a, at an organized level. So it, it was real interesting how, how that kind of took shape for him that it, he didn't have a thing that made it click either. It was just getting together and, 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 and playing a sport it could have been, you know, baseball or football or whatever, or basketball, yeah. it could have been whatever it, it but it just, it was more of a, a community uh, collective of people who just wanted to like be active. Yeah, even when you pressed him on it, he couldn't um, he couldn't tell you that there was one moment. He could only express to you like this time that it came to life. You know, right. what I, he, you know what I mean. It was like almost like I didn't even know I loved. I was so passionate for the game until mm-hmm. 
as an eight-year-old boy, I ran onto the field and kicked, <laughs> and kicked a live ball away from the uh, so the goal wouldn't go in. You so know? like, so part of part of what was like special for me during this whole thing was that like I never really like dove deep into that stuff when I was younger with my dad. You know, like and like hearing some of those stories about you know the old country. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do remember him um, him telling me that story at one point and that he, he, he goes into it a little bit deeper um, off air with me. And he, and he said that the, the opposing team started to chase him around the field. <laughs> <laughs> Just this little kid, that little kid. Yeah. And then like his, his older brother and the guys on the team had to like restrain them to like, like, he's just a kid, like just relax. But you know, like he had so much passion for his hometown team that he was running on the field and stopping a ball from the end line. I mean, it's seriously some like bad news bears or some sandlot (laughs) shit, right? It totally is. Like precocious kids that just, uh, you know, make the game their own. I loved it. Yeah. Um, In the end, it kind of, when he's, when he's talking about, you know, the end of his development, developmental cycle with the Bavarians in Milwaukee. I do love that he talks about his early Bavarians coaches putting little to no emphasis on winning. Like, I want to get your take on how you feel like that builds successful players in the end, because it must have. The Bavarians are a storied team, right? Mm -hmm. Like, to take that approach from, you know, the 8th, ninth grade, at the 8th, ninth grade level, where winning doesn't really matter, what does that do for a player at um, by the time they reach you know, 12th grade and move on to like men's league kind of stuff. Well, I'm actually like somewhat a product of that being that I, you know, I played with the Bavarians as a youth and like, I'm just used to that where like, you know, we get, we get higher level, higher up the ladder from a soccer perspective and your soccer journey continues on to where winning does matter Mm -hmm. and your it's results driven. Um, But like for me, like, if you look at like the modern day player, when, when you lose a game, it's like, it, it literally is the end of the world for people and, and they just can't get past it and you can get into a funk. Yeah. And, and then, and you know, one loss turns into three and then three turns into five. And then all of a sudden coaches get fired and, and, and there it's, it, it's, it's just all about the result. And like with, with me now, like I, I'm the type of player, even in my men's league games, I lose the game and I'm, I'm super pissed for like 40 minutes. And then I'm like, whatever, I get to play soccer again another day. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, how that builds a successful player is uh, a good short term memory, you know, like, and it doesn't just go from a results perspective. It goes down to like when they're trying something on the field. Like if you have someone who's so emphasized on executing and winning, when you we try to play that thirty yard ball that doesn't quite get there because you don't hit it hard enough or the wind blows or whatever it may be, that that may ruin their entire game. Yeah, it didn't work, so I'm not going to do that again. Right, and but the thing that should be taught is do that again because it's the right thing to do, even though you didn't execute it. Yep, and like, there's like a mental resiliency that needs to that that that's learned by not always being the best, not always winning. And being able right. to bounce back from stuff. Because it's okay to be mad when you lose for, you know, half hour, 40 minutes. But, like, at the end of the day, like you said, every decision you make, every mistake you make, every loss you take, I'll be watching you. No, but you have to, <laughs> you have to like, um, you have to be able to bounce back and accept that that's just part of it and try again. Because the thing is that, that the willingness to try something, again, that failed is the difference between winning and losing sometimes. Yeah, and, well, that's, and to be honest... Isn't that what practice is? 
Right. Like, isn't that like, well, shit, I couldn't pass it correctly the first time. I guess soccer's not for me. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to go play squash. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, but like, I, I, I could, I, I couldn't, you know, I have one of those, those, those photographic soccer memories where I can like remember plays and things that happened years ago, or I can, I know the score of a game or whatever. Yeah. And, like I can remember vividly, like as I got more advanced in soccer, like trying something that just didn't work and, and literally it being the difference maker of me succeeding on it the next time that, that led us to a victory. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think you have that a lot in players. I mean, we, it, the yeah. ironic thing was, you know, before my, my dad and my mom ended up leaving for the, the weekend to go back home, we were watching, a uh, it was, um, it was whatever the mid, the, the Monday Bundesliga game was. And, the I, I think it was uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf was down and and against Eintracht Frankfurt and Eintracht Frankfurt brought in a striker you know with ten minute, twenty minutes ago maybe and you know ten minutes later the guy scores two goals and they win the game but he he tried some things early on that just didn't work and on the on the game winner he he did the same thing he tried the same thing again and he executed yeah and and that that it literally was the difference it wasn't that he he shied away from something and, and he and he went to the second or third option he trusted his instinct was like i'm i, I can succeed at this because i've 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 hammered home this exact scenario so many times in training i'm just gonna try it and he did so i think that like eventually it will click in players but the the ones that don't succeed are the ones that that aren't okay with failure Mm -hmm. yeah that's and i think there's there's something to be said about um it's okay to be in these situations where the where the pressure is low or lessened, right? Like it's okay mm-hmm. if you don't succeed. It's okay if you don't win because it's then you're you've you're given that freedom to try to try things whereas like if you're in a high pressure situation, people are more willing or more likely to um to bear down and only stick to things that they know are going to succeed, right? They're not going to try new things. Their creativity level goes goes out the out the window and it's just mm-hmm. a matter of like head down, I got to I got to make this happen in the way that I know will work and well, that al- won't always work. Unfortunately, he also mentioned too, that like, and I think was an important thing to take away is that even when someone kicks your ass and you get beat, mm-hmm. like there's still positives. Like you can still play good soccer and get beat you by know, the British. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by the British military team with like <laughs> premier league level talent. <laughs> no, but like, you can your coach can tell the coaches can tell you when when you lose that you you still played good soccer and and it's, it wasn't your day from a team perspective mm-hmm. and on the on the score sheet and I think that that lead that there's just another added step onto the the it's okay to not always win yeah you know like if you get used to um, you know being okay with failure that you can draw something from it I think there's a, why I love your your talk with your dad and we'll, we'll get more into this next week's and next week's show when we get to the second half but there are a lot of there's a lot of lessons to be taken away as a parent as a coach as a player just about how to approach the game and i think this there there is sort of like um like he said like it's okay if, when your coach you know the first of all at, at half don't say anything to your players is one thing that he said just let them relax and decompress yeah. before you start 
railing into them or grilling them about what they need to do. Because they made, they made listen to you then. Yep. You um, know, like... But also just like this idea that, you know what, everyone played really well. We did what we needed to do and we just got beat by a better team. Shit happens is kind of a, is kind of a cool way. It's a, it's a refreshing approach to, to hear, uh, to hear how to coach or kind of how to approach that versus like, you know, screaming and ranting and stomping and throwing a tantrum, which you see more often than not, especially in the Premier League. Well, it create it, it creates a winning mentality, actually. You know, when when you can you can identify when you're getting beat by a team, and it might increase your level. You mm-hmm. know, if at halftime a coach is screaming at you to do this and that, there's there's no room for uh, constructive criticism that might help you be a winner. Right. You know. One thing I would I do want to bring up that that I thought was funny was that story about when he joined um, when he joined the military and he ends up in Germany playing organizing the team and playing against other army teams <laughs> and he downplayed it you you brought it up just now but he downplayed it that like some of these players on on the english team were you know maybe some maybe in already in the pros maybe low level kind of a thing and some you world told cup me winners. instead they're like <laughs> he's playing against the world cup winning keeper yeah. <laughs> like but, yeah what i mean god could you imagine just like finding yourself at an army base squaring off against like harry kane <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah exactly and it, the funny thing too was that you know he was like yeah the british were really nice to us before the game and telling us about how they were embarrassed about losing in the olympics and, and they that just they owed the us sh- one <laughs> yeah and they kicked the living shit out of them and it's like it goes down to the you know some low-level military pickup game you yeah know? Like, hey, like the- <laughs> however you can however you can salvage your pride right right exactly so um one other thing, uh, on some level, what I what I enjoyed, um, what I enjoyed was uh, that on some level the environment he had in Milwaukee in the '60s when he's joining the Bavarians, um, like like I, like like he said, really you had ethnic teams to join and that's it. Cro- the Croatians we know about, there were Hungarian teams and all that stuff. Um, that is really being reproduced today in, mm-hmm. in the Twin Cities, especially, but I'm sure all over the country by. East Africans, West Africans, Central and South Americans, right? Mexican. Me- yeah. yeah, definitely here, but I'm sure elsewhere. Um, and these these communities, they form their teams, and the kids play on these teams really because they're the one they're the teams that are available, and they're the teams that are accessible. And some play at a really high level. Like Pueblita is a very very good uh, Mexican team, uh, very very good Mexican youth squad. But you know they're not playing against the 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 Sporting St. Croix or the Blackhawks of the league right. of the, of the world. Right. In your observation, like how valuable is that experience as an immigrant community? Because I think you, you have a special appreciation of where the Bavarians club came from and what it has become in Milwaukee. And do you see that those kind of clubs rising to similar prominence potentially around, around the cities and, and elsewhere? I mean, I think so. It's all about opportunity, right? Like, mm-hmm. there, if you don't have the opportunity to get these um, more immigrant-focused um, community clubs exposure against the St. Croix and the MTAs of the world, you know, you you don't you don't foster their um, involvement in the soccer community. Right. You just you just restrict it, and that's where like the whole pay-for-play model comes in, and you know, how we're, we're missing out on talent. But I think one thing to take away from, you know, what he was saying was, is that there's a specific, if, when you go to Milwaukee, even to this day, 
um, there's a specific style of play that these ethnic clubs play. And it all goes back to historical reference of how those countries played and the style and the, and like the mystique of things, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people say, you know, like, you know, English teams of, of old were just long ball to a target striker and, you know, German teams attack as a unit. And South American teams are more, you know, technically focused and Brazilian teams are more technically focused and they'll, they'll beat you off a dribble. I, I think that that's still that still resonates today. And yeah. I think that I think that what we, you know, down the road, I think that fostering soccer growth in a country, it's boiled down to the the people who are sheltered, having exposure to these different ways to play the game so that they can they can take their own piece of it away and and it can make them better yeah one of the things that the bavarians have in milwaukee that i hope that someone in the cities ends up being able to carve out is this space where they can develop soccer on their own right they've got the beer hall they've got the fields they've got the whole the whole complex there where where everyone can gather kids and adults and, and players and non-players to enjoy soccer in the Bavarians model. Like, hopefully somebody here in town figures that out and is able to, to find that land and build that thing um, for their community. Yeah, and if you have a checkbook that's that's heavy and you want to call us or you, you can reach out to us, we'd be more than happy to spend those dollars. Well, John, I'm, uh, I'm definitely interested to hear how your dad took those lessons that he learned early in his soccer life and, and applied them later in life as a coach and as a parent to you. But that's going to have to wait until next week. Um, yeah. But in the meantime... Stay just, tuned. Yeah, stay tuned, everyone. Um, in the meantime, I think this is, this is, this is a really cool... Uh, segment in a really cool interview and i i'm just hungry for the next for the next one good content nate good content we've got more crows people this week's player announcement is another returner to the murder that kind of rhymed yeah uh nick <laughs> nick hutton is a longtime member of the Stegman's arm of the club uh, he is joining us for his second season with minneapolis city Last year, he was voted Newcomer of the Year by at least half of the people who do this podcast for his almost (laughs) immediate contribution to the city attack. Nick Hutton is a winger that possesses world-class speed, and uh, that's no exaggeration. That is literally literally (laughs) world-class speed, and he definitely has a hard-nosed, tireless work ethic. Um, Was he – did he come to us to – did he come to us – come with us to Illinois – after his baby was born, like within a week or two after his baby was born, he was in Aurora. No, he found out that his wife was pregnant that's while he was. was before the game. That's what it was. That's not as that's not as hard nosed or tireless as I. That's and then not, he scored the, the then best. he scored the game. Then winner. he scores the game winner, which I predicted. Yeah. But he's yep. not. That's not the uh, the. <laughs> that's not the example I was looking for. But still. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's a good storyline. Yep. Uh, please do not let Nick Hutton fool you, folks. He can also pull a trick or two uh, out of his out of his socks to set up a shot with either foot. It's not all speed with this guy. He has played 12 games with Minneapolis City in the last year, uh, year and a half, I guess. Uh, 914 minutes logged with six goals and five assists, only one yellow card. I think just like... like 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 I just said, his impact was immediate. Like that's a lot of goals. That's a lot of assists for someone who's really only played one season. Well, it's I mean, you look at the numbers. It's a goal every other game. Yeah, that's nuts. And and he's he's not just scoring. He's also setting people up. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, Hutt is a coach's dream, and I don't say that lightly. Like, he, he really is. He's one of those guys who's nicer than hell off the field. Like, he'll talk to the fans. He'll come to everything. Um, but he is your worst nightmare on it <laughs> when you are uh, are the opposition. I've seen him play for almost five years now and even shared the, the pitch with him a few times with Stegmans. Um, and it was only a matter of time until he cracked the first team uh, with our MPSL squad. Um, he came to us as a trial player um, with City before the 2017 season, but there was a log jam at his position at that given time, um, and did not it did not allow him to crack through that year. Um, but he did score a peach of a goal against the U of M club team in the preseason, which. I thought maybe would have elevated him into the squad, but um, it just the the stars weren't aligned. Um, but he hit the MPSL North last year so hard, uh, and they really didn't know what to do with him. And it's whether you paired him with Whit, Will Kid or Whitney or Siku or Justin Oliver, really anyone you threw him across the field from. Um, and and I mentioned this earlier when we talked about um, you know things that my dad said he would he makes dynamic runs and and he's willing to switch positions like organically throughout the game and that just creates havoc up, upon the opposing defense mm-hmm. um, especially when his his counterparts or his friends on the team are are picking up on that and, and filling the space um, that uh, that he's clearing out and that, that if you if you look back um, into uh, into city folklore, the the Abdallah Ba banger versus Duluth um, was actually part of Hutton's doing. Um, he cleared out three defenders with a diagonal run that that not only created the space in the window for Ba to fire that shot off, but also um, created some havoc for the goalie to not be able to pick it up because there was so much movement going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hutton does a ton of things for you. We're super happy to have him back. Um, and I, I also hate to tell the MPSL North teams this since we're in the preseason, but he looks bigger and just as fast as last year. So, like, he's he's 27 years old and still growing. Well, yeah. Or yeah however not, old he is. It's, uh, it's like, what, what's the SNL character? Bill Brasky? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's 9 feet, 10 inches, 400 pounds. No, he, he just looks like he's been working out. And, uh, and, you know, and, and like I said, he hasn't lost any of that speed or drive. So look out folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nate, uh, players are not the only thing that we're announcing this week. We have, uh, you know, we have to tune the boys up against other competition before the season starts. Yeah. And we will have a few of these, This is, but this is the first one. And I feel is the, the high right now on paper, the highest profile match that we just announced this week. We'll be hosting the storied Colorado-based Super Club Harpo's FC, and this is fantastic news because not only um, you know really we really like these guys, um, but they're the type of club that we've talked about hosting for years now. Um, that are awesome guys, good at soccer and and, and fun off the field, but they they walk the walk. Uh, much like our, our frenemies across the border, the Bavarians. Um, they own multiple cups. They'll play anyone, including the Mexican national team, as we found out. <laughs> yes. We uh, interviewed uh, their 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 heartbeat, uh, Johnny Freeston, in, in a Gold Cup tune-up. Um, they're, they're also, um, you know, 
currently okay with not being attached to lower division soccer like we are. You know, they they don't they didn't jump at the chance to get in bed with the MPSL or the UPSL or the USL or whatever SL there is in the United States. Um, but it's just super awesome to have these gents come into town, and, and we're going to be hitting the, the field hard and the town hard after with them. Yeah, I'm really excited for Harpo's, Harpo's to come to town. Um, I would say, like, very philosophically aligned with what we're trying to do. Um, Johnny was such a great guest. I think if anyone is interested in learning more about what Harpo's is all about and where this weird name comes from and kind of what's going on out there in Colorado, you should definitely definitely listen to listen to oh, our for sure. interview of him, which was epi- back in episode 95. Uh, we talked to him back in October. And, um, wow, it was already d- October. I know. Can wow. you believe it? Like during wow. our, um, our slow period, our slow period. That was our, that was our owner operator, uh, interview series. That was the, the way we kicked it off was with, mm-hmm. uh, was with Johnny. So it'll be cool to meet him in person and great to have that, uh, a, a storied and a classy organization in town to be able to, uh, sharpen our knives against. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, let's get the details of this game, uh, to the people, Right now, it's looking at uh, looking like it's going to be Saturday, April twenty seventh, at Winter Park in Eden Prairie, which is now is that the Lifetime facility yep. now? Lifetime took yep. it over. Yeah, um, and the re- the reason why it's there is because there's both an outdoor and an indoor option. So we can do um, either I, or. I think we're gonna probably focus on playing indoors just because we live in Minnesota. Yeah. But there there's a chance that it could be outdoors if, if the the weather's nice enough because they have the, the option for both. But, That's nice. Um super awesome facility. I mean, there's an NFL team that lived there for years, so you know it's good. Yeah, Lifetime has done wonders to turn it into a uh, a really cool soccer facility. They do they do their own version of free play there for kids to show up and it'll be really great to uh it's really luxurious, I would say. Yeah, uh, yeah, time absolutely. is TBD, but it's going to be an evening kickoff probably. Um, you know, we usually do about a 7 p.m. kickoff for most of our other games. So yeah, more details some, there, but plan on that, yeah. something later. Um, as far as tickets goes, this is going to be this is this is where it gets interesting. This is a members only event. Right now, it's looking like it'll be a member member plus one, so every member will be allowed to bring a guest. But um, but maybe it, not. We but maybe not. We're yet, not really it, sure yet. And yeah. depending on capacity and depending on interest. So if you're really interested in seeing Harpo's and knowing that there are other exclusive, um, you know, preseason games that are that are going to be announced shortly, I would say get out there and buy a membership to make sure you are at this great match and you get all the other perks that come with being a member. Uh, more information on this match and, like I said, any of the other preseason friendlies will be coming out soon but these are the basics circle april 27th on your calendar it will be if you're a member the first opportunity you have to see the new uh the new look crows what we've the got returning champs yep the returning champs what we've got uh in the hopper for the 2019 season i'm super pumped yeah. it's coming earlier than i expected john yeah it's, it's just around the corner nate <laughs> and thus ends tonight's show Thanks, as always, to our sponsor, Summit Brewing. Uh, thanks to John and his dad uh, for, for being on the show as well. It is almost spring. That means it's just about Maybach time, my friends, my German friends know. This sippable <laughs> yet strong set of suds is going to quench your thirst while it helps you forget about the snow that just won't go away. Summit, a more meaningful brew since 1986. 
If giving back to the community means a lot to you, it is time for you to give to the club that gives back. Minneapolis City is a 501c3 that provides a safe, reliable, and fun environment for young people to play the beautiful game. Look for us all summer, spring, fall, maybe even the winter, playing with kids in parks and community centers around the city and consider a tax-deductible donation to what is a true city-focused organization. Uh, We just talked about the Harpo's match. Minneapolis City NPSL plus U23 schedules are out, uh, including that Harpo's match, and they are packed with goodness, and there is more goodness to come. Now is the right time to grab that membership. It is the best deal in soccer for only $80. You are going to get 10 NPSL home games, 7 U23 games, at least one uh, preseason exclusive preseason friendly, a membership scarf, a membership card that's going to get you deals on Summit at our official game day bar Palmers. So you, much. Oh, there's, I, I'm out of breath. There's too much, too much that it offers. Visit mplscitysc.com and make it happen for yourself. Send us mail. Hey, no mail lately. Uh, Actually, it, we have uh, one in the hopper that we never from from resident content generator Bryn. Oh no um, shit. That, that we haven't we haven't addressed, but well, we'll we'll get to that soon, Bryn. Promise. Pile pile it on. It's easy. You got to hit us up on Twitter at the People's Pitch, but most people do it through email at mcscpodcast at gmail.com. All of your questions and comments and your concerns are welcome. But if you really have concerns, complain to the club at mplscitysc. And that's all for this week. Once again, we're going to leave you with our house MC Miles Stockman Willis aka malaise i am nate that is john thank you again to mr bizworm make sure to get those memberships friends to get to that harpo's match in april and you guys I see the real you, yeah, boo, I found you. So don't ever frown when loneliness is around you. I'ma show you that someone should crown you, not clown you. But pursue virtue would never hurt you. Critical in distance, touches digital. Biblical, tell death, love is unconditional. Telling us we're a team and not two individuals. For you, I give my spleen, the spiritual and the physical. Loving what is fragile isn't always fixable. But I see what's invisible, see it affects visuals. Grab my hand, hold it. We gon' think the unthinkable. I promise we will float that our boat's unsinkable. I promise I'ma drown in you. Drown. Let you drown in me. me. Reveal the recipe. You I love to overfeed. I love it. Let's proceed slowly. Not go bad like moldy. Ravioli, rigatoni. Girl, I'm free falling for you. Still, temptation follows free. Just tell me when you fall for me. Please. Just tell me when you fall. Free. Girl, I'm free falling for you. Still. Temptation follows free. Just tell me when you fall for me, please. Just tell me when you fall. Temptation's about to give in, but I'm staying true. If I sin, may I be forgiven for a few. What we got to lose? You just gotta listen. Such a good girl. Just made a bad decision. One and done, she looking fine. Nothing missing. But got my hands tied like I'm the villain. Evil only swallows pride, but I'm sometimes kidding. Finger liquor kitty after, be the kitten. Cute shit, kiss me softer than a baby's grip. New sense of high when she bites her lower lip. If she quit, make my heart skip, then snip. When we're together. 
together like ice cream mixed with some mint pepper. Shawty had to rescue my respiratory. Yeah. Wants a man who's a man that is mandatory. Only without her off the pad, like I never met with Dory. Help her write her story, take the qualms out her quarry. Uh. Girl, I'm free falling for you. Still, temptation follows free. Just tell me when you fall for me, please. Just tell me when you fall. Girl, I'm free falling for you. Still, temptation follows free. Just tell me when you fall for me, please. Just tell me when you fall. Selfie timeless as the rollie. Always be my plus one. Shotty is my bogey. In it for the long haul, not for the trophy. Every day, feeling greater than Tony. Falling for her, and I think she falling for me too. I hope falling like two V's make a double U. Type of dude to build you up and make the rubble move. Type of dude to have my phone out all in front of you. Only cause you got my back. Presence always sets the mood. Never starts any trouble without any proof. No problems if there was, make the puzzle poof. Lap it up. Goofballs, you should see the spoof. Girl, I'm free falling for you. Still, temptation follows free. Just tell me when you fall for me, please. Just tell me when you fall. Free. Girl, I'm free falling for you. Still, temptation follows free.